You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And finally, spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot, or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Dread, which came out in 2012 and was directed by Pete Travis, or was directed by Alex Garland. It stars Carl Urban, Olivia Thirlby, Lena Headey, Wood Harris, Langley Kirkwood, Joe Vaz, Racky Ayola, Jason Cope, and Domhnall Gleeson. The genre would be futuristic action thriller. 800 million people living in the ruin of the old world. Only one thing fighting for order in the chaos. Judges. There's drugs like nothing I've ever seen. If we play this right, we can take the whole city. Mom was controlling all the slow-mo production and distribution. Rookie, you ready? Yeah. You look ready. Screw Thanos or the Joker. Has there been a more unnerving comic book movie villain in recent years than Mama? I mean, just thinking about the way she nonchalantly, quietly requests of three dealers caught selling for a competitor. Skin him. Toss him over the balcony. And then to see the results of her orders as three bloodied corpses smash down loudly, one by one, in the middle of a crowded food court? Well, it sets a tone for sure. In a Mega City One loaded with scum and villainy, she is just about the worst. As played chillingly by Lena Headey, she could easily be Cersei Lannister's lost twin from a dystopian future. But that's her. Madeline Madrigal, a.k.a. Mama, ex-hooker from the S9 Pleasure District. Quit working when she got sliced up by a pimp. She got her own back. Black legend says she feminized the guy with her teeth. Took over his business interests. Never looked back. Now, to be fair to Hetty, she's a much more accomplished actress than that comparison allows for. But regardless, she is perfect for the nasty world presented in this deliriously violent 21st century adaptation of the British graphic novel directed by Pete Travis. But apparently really directed by Alex Garland. This has now been widely reported by those who worked on the production, who have also confirmed that due to creative differences, Travis was locked out of the editing bay after production. So pretty much Garland took over. And Alex Garland is definitely one of the most exciting directors out there right now. Even if he's only half responsible for this gem, that's still pretty impressive considering he has been the sole director of two of the most impressive science fiction films of recent years, Ex Machina and Annihilation, which I did actually review earlier this year. Now, those two films are more cerebral than this one, but all three films have one thing in common. Protagonists who are struggling mightily to retain their humanity against more powerful forces who've all but given up. In this film, that protagonist is actually Anderson, a bright young judge with psychic powers from mutation caused by nuclear fallout, out on her first field test. 
She's played pretty well by Olivia Thurlby in a pretty thankless role as the seemingly naive cadet who's in for a rougher training day than she bargained for. Mind explaining yourself, rookie? Abetting a felon is not just a fail offense, it's a crime. I already picked up the fail when I lost my primary weapon. I'm not going to be a judge, and I don't need to be a mind reader to know it. He's a victim, not a perp, and until my assessment is formally over, I'm still entitled to dispense justice, and that's what I just did by letting him go. And she has some nice moments. However, she's not really the main draw here. I mean, the film's not called Anderson, right? Nope, it's called Dread. Not Judge Dread, mind you. No, that was the 1995 movie. It's simply called Dread, and that's because this is Carl Urban's playground, and we're just visiting. Urban is a genre veteran at this point, with notable characters in association with Star Trek, The Boys, Middle Earth, Asgard, Bourne, and even Riddick. So he's definitely in his element playing starkly drawn anti-heroes wearing outlandish get-ups. But in this movie, Urban has the unique challenge of sort of playing a more nihilistic Wyatt Earp, even more so a man with no name and no real face either. For the entire runtime, we never see any of Urban's face except for his mouth. Nor is he able to express any real emotions, nor is he actually given much in the way of complex dialogue. And yet Urban makes him compelling. Inhabitants of Pink Trees. This is Judge Dredd. In case you people have forgotten, this block operates under the same rules as the rest of the city. Mama is not the law. I am the law. Mama is a common criminal. Guilty of murder. Guilty of the manufacture and distribution of the narcotic known as slow-mo. And as of now, under sentence of death. With not much more than a scowl, laying out charges to suspects, and the occasional directive towards his multi-purpose firearm. It's pretty much a minimalist performance, and to me it's thrilling enough just to hear him calmly say, Incendiary. And then to watch what happens when he points that gun at a floor just below, filled with goons from the Mama clan. Needless to say, this is a simple story of two law enforcement officers working their way up a high-rise to take down the big baddie. That's really it in a nutshell. And it's often been dismissed as being a rip-off of The Raid, which came out the same year. But both happen to be great films, and yet neither was the first to tell such a simple story. What Garland was going for with Dread works so well because of its simplicity. It's a point A to point B story told within a grim setting. No need for subplots, nor Easter eggs, nor hidden themes. Not when a basic action tale is executed this well. The muscular score, visual effects, especially those slow-mo effects, set design, sound, pacing, everything just clicks. This is a well-oiled action machine for 95 minutes. Disperse immediately, or we will use lethal force to clear the area. Where's that coming from? Over there. Access corridor. You have been warned. You now have 20 seconds to comply. It's you doing a compliant, Judge. There's 10 of us. Only two of you. When you step out from behind that doorway, we're gonna blow the fuck out of you. 10 seconds to comply. Fuck you, Judge. You got five. Thanks for the heads up. Just watch and enjoy. <laughs> 
And that brings us to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Now about that muscular score. Well, that pretty much describes it. It's bass heavy, pulse pounding, and driven by guitar and synthesizers. It's ideal music for in-your-face action shot with style, of which this film has no shortage of. And it comes from Scottish composer Paul Leonard Morgan, who has been around for a bit, but is mainly focused on composing music for TV and video games. He actually has not done many movies, mainly this and Limitless, as far as I could tell. It's akin to some of the older John Carpenter synth scores for films like Halloween or Escape from New York, but with more production behind it, a denser sound. Well, whatever you want to call it, it's quite catchy, and it serves the story very well. There's pretty much one main theme established at the very beginning as we are introduced to the setting. We see these giant 200-story mega skyscrapers surrounded by dense cityscapes, and off in the distance, post-nuclear wasteland cordoned off by giant walls. This is the dystopian city of the future, and it's introduced to us via voiceover narration from Dredd himself. Only one thing fighting for order in the chaos. The men and women of the Hall of Justice. Juries. Executioners. Judges. It's a rousing way to start a futuristic action thriller, and it's our introduction to Mega City One, which also happens to be the title of this track. And now the next category, which would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. As recounted during my recent review for The Avengers, 2012 was a seminal year for the comic book movie genre, as that film became an unexpectedly massive hit, grossing a billion and a half dollars, establishing Marvel Studios as the most commercially successful film brand. Even with that film's gargantuan success, we also had the release of The Dark Knight Rises that same summer a film that did not receive a rapturous reception like its predecessor, The Dark Knight, but still made significant bank, well over a billion dollars. So this being a very comic book-driven marketplace, you might have hoped that Dread released that September might have made some bank too, right? Well, not quite. Dread ended up getting pretty good reviews, but grossed about $41 million worldwide on a $45 million budget. And the reasons for this were actually quite obvious. Unlike those other blockbusters, Dread was not based on a well-known comic property. And making matters worse, the only other known version of this character that most audiences had known was the 1995 adaptation Judge Dread, starring Sylvester Stallone in the title role, a film which was a massive critical and commercial flop. Even though I kind of enjoy it. Why did you judge me? You killed innocent people. The means to an end. You started a massacre. I caused the revolution. You betrayed the law. Beyond that, the main marketing hook of the film was that it was being released in 3D. It had 3D effects, which, to be fair, were rendered quite impressively. In fact, in most marketing materials, the film was more often titled Dread 3D. Only thing is, by the fall of 2012, 
Audiences were beginning to tire of paying for 3D content in movie theaters, mainly because the vast majority of 3D stuff being shown in theaters was rather shoddily done, with lower brightness on screen as a result of rushed post-production conversions of several big films into their 3D versions. Now, that wasn't the case with Dread, as this was meticulously filmed for 3D. But it didn't matter, though, as calling it 3D just really wasn't a hook. Even taking the R rating into account, there had been several massively successful R-rated comic book adaptations in the decade leading up to Dread's release, which were just as violent. They were aggro dude bro movies like 300, Wanted, Sin City, and sorry, as I know that those movies have their fans, but Dread was just a much better, more well-thought-out entry into that subgenre. It's just a shame in retrospect that it had such lousy timing and that audiences really didn't connect with it. And now the next category, which would be the trailer moment. This is the scener moment that best describes this movie. Roughly halfway through the movie, as Mama now has control of the building called Peace Tree, she barricades both Dredd and Anderson on one particular section of one particular floor as gates close down around them. And then she does... nothing? She doesn't have any of her dozens of henchmen after him this time. It all feels pretty quiet and safe, even though she knows exactly where they are. This, of course, has Dredd feeling a bit worried. And as he's slowly walking through the hallway, he just hears doors being shut and locked, folks fleeing inside for cover. He's thinking something's off. And then as he peers his head out, just briefly into the open courtyard in the middle of the building, he knows what's coming. We then see Mama herself, with several men around her, setting up these giant Gatling guns, at least three of them. They're all aimed towards guess who. And what results is the standout action set piece of this movie. Oh, shit. Fire! about four minutes of insane sensory overload. The gunfire sounds are almost deafeningly loud. We see relatively convincing white lines of bullets crossing over from one side of the building to the other. Blood squibs exploding all over as folks in the hallways are getting mowed down. And incredulously, if we're being fair here, we see Dredd desperately outrunning the gunfire as it follows him through every wall. And suddenly everything is just glowing orange with flames as we can see from a distance that Mama's gang has pretty much lit up this sector of the building. This scene is both exhilarating and horrific at the same time. There is tons of carnage left in the wake of this orgy of bullets, and it's pretty gruesome stuff. What Garland, or sorry, Travis or Garland, accomplishes with this sequence is that while it's impressive spectacle, it's not sugarcoating the aftermath either. And that's not even the postscript of this sequence as we see Mama then peering over from the other side of the building, waiting to find out if they found Dredd's body. And then across the way, she is treated to a nasty surprise, which I will not dare spoil. That brings us to the final category, which would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. I'm going to go with my instinct here and keep this simple. From all accounts, whether he fully directed this film or just partially directed it, Alex Garland made this film happen. 
He not only wrote a screenplay with a streamlined structure, which made this character feel fresh again, but he co-produced the film as well. He was also very instrumental in getting Carl Urban on board to play the title character, which is clearly a role that fit him to a T. At its core, this is a morally ambiguous film with no true heroes leading the charge. And that has pretty much been Garland's MO since then. Even in his most recent film, Men, which came out earlier this year, which I liked but did not love, there's a lead character played by Jesse Buckley, who we witness go through quite a bit, but we can also see just how prickly she is as a person. Garland just does not present us with black and white caricatures, even if they might initially seem that way on the surface. Every character is shown some empathy. And that's even the case here with the character of Mama. We learn just enough about her backstory to have a decent understanding of what got her to this place and why she is now a ruthless drug kingpin. And consider how the drug slow-mo is portrayed as well in this movie. We see that it's addictive and how the world surrounding it has gotten increasingly ugly. But through the creative way that it's filmed with state-of-the-art CGI and experimental speed ramping, it sometimes looks almost inviting. We see both the appeal of the drug and all of the violent consequences of its very existence. This film just always has more layers than it seems. For spearheading one of the best comic book adaptations ever, Alex Garland is the MVP. The idea was that if you lived in this tough place, slow-mo would give you moments of beauty and peace and tranquility. You take it and your brain just starts running at a fraction of its normal speed. One of the things about very extreme slow motion is that it can make almost anything look beautiful and hypnotic and graceful. My rating for Dread would be five stars out of five. Yeah, this movie is that special. In fact, I would easily put it in my top 10 all-time of comic book movie adaptations. And if you're looking to watch Dread, it's available to rent or buy on all major streaming platforms. And that ends another incendiary review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.